to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. The Irish squad for the Six Nations was just announced and overall it looks uh, pretty strong, it must be said. Uh, who, for you, would you say are the surprise, both inclusions or omissions? I would... I think it's a very fair squad. So very... Marty Moore would be one name... Um, I suppose I wanted to see. He's gone with Furlong, Bielham and O'Toole, which is in keeping with previous squads that Farrell has picked. And I expected Crowley or Harry Byrne to get picked, but I wanted Crowley to get picked. Uh, I didn't think that Joey Carberry was fit, so I was surprised to see him picked. But that said, I, under, I understand um, why he's picked Cardi. And after that, um, very few surprises glad to see Mac Hansen being picked um I think himself and Balakoon are the are the form wingers um and I think form counts for a lot with wingers but you know you sort of have that form as temporary class as permanent um I, I haven't seen much of Earls at all this season I don't think he's played that much rugby and Andrew Conway played superbly during November but hasn't looked that sharp and I just worry have his legs gone on him a bit wingers score all their tries when they're young fellas yeah I mean like you I hoped and had sort of convinced myself that Marty Moore would come in not at the expense of any tight heads just as an additional tight head um, I thought Marty was outstanding against Northampton and my view of Marty would be that he is um, <clears throat> he he wouldn't start games I, I, I think Farrell would be inclined to take his uh, his fitness as a, sort of a negative. But I think with Marty, you'd be looking for him to, to give you 25 minutes at the end rather than 55 minutes at the start or 20 and, and 60. Uh, so I sort of convinced myself that he'd be in. I think Marty's playing great. Um, he's a really good rugby player. It's not just a scrummaging. Like, he's excellent tackler. He's good hands. And um, he's a good jackal threat. I really like Marty. I suppose the other, the other one that stands out is um, Treadwell's in the squad. So, like, if everyone else, like Tom O'Toole, Treadwell are young Ulster, Ulster forwards, but, like, they're not really proven. Like, is Tom O'Toole even the best tight head in Ulster? Never mind. Like, one of the best. He's obviously one of the best in Ireland, but, like, he's not going to be first choice for Ireland. Um, and I, I... Look, in in the squad during the summertime, like, Ulton Delan was there... Ulton's going off to France next year. Uh, La Rochelle or Claremont? La Rochelle, isn't it? La Rochelle, yeah. Um, so I think Treadwell is in at him. But it also brings to mind that like Quinn Rue is gone. 
so that's two second rows that Connacht have lost over the last, and like you can see the logic. Like you know, you play John, for, John Klein can't get a game anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah, John <laughs> Klein can't get a game. But like, I, I just think that, like, if you look at Ireland's second rows, like Henderson's the big strong man. Uh, Ty Byrne is excellent. James Ryan hasn't been as good as he can be, let's say, over the last season and a half. But like, he could easily come back and be excellent. But they're quite light rate. Um, and the fact that Henderson's been injured all the time means like there's no big strong man in the Irish second row. Mm. Like, it's funny, you know, brought up Klein there. Klein's actually playing much better over the last year than he had when he was when he got selected for Ireland. Um, Treadwell, Treadwell, uh, Treadwell has played, not specifically this season, but since he moved to Ulster, he's played a ton of games. And he did well, uh, Against Northampton, there very which would be fresh in, in Andy Farrell's mind. Second row is something that we've talked about before about it being like there's the big three, and then there's Baird, and then there's like a big three and a gap, and a Baird and a gap. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think everyone around the table here would would like to have seen Tom Ahern play more rugby for. Monster and push himself into more genuine contention rather contention based on potential. Um, and you, you know, I've said it before. You can't get that, can't get that last season back to him. You can't say, you can't just inject the minutes into him. You know, he had to have actually played. So, you know, this is there can there can be changes made to this squad. It's not set in stone. But the next tour is to New Zealand, which is. A huge ask, and you know a lot of a lot of commentary when around squad selection goes on. Oh, you need more changes. Going, we just played like the last the last three games we played were super successful for Ireland, and uh, Ireland is Farrell's team. You know, so that sounds like the world's most obvious statement, but what I mean is like he coaches based on how the players perform for Ireland. Like it's not the 1980s or 1990s when everyone goes back to their club and you start from scratch again every three months or six months. It's like he he has a team that he selects as did Joe Schmidt, like a club team, and it's uh, so that's why when there's always a sort of comment that it's harder to get out of the team than into it. And you're going, well, it is hard to get into the team. Like it's, it was hard for all of those players to get into the team that are there. So. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't surprised to see that uh, there are relatively few changes. I think it's a bit naive to expect that there'd be loads of changes. Naive, I'd say stupid rather than naive because that's what I think. Um, but I was very happy to see Robert Balakum retained from the squad uh, in November. And I'd be looking for him to start in the number 11 jersey as, as the big winger, the winger who is on the end of right-to-left passes, if he's comfortable playing on the left. Uh, because I think he could be, you know, our equivalent of Stockdale in 2018. Just a huge, huge weapon. And as Andy said, wingers play their best rugby when they're young, young and confident, and at 100% fitness. I'm struck by. Um, I don't know whether it's my expectation or whether, like, trying to adhere to some sort of template. I expect him to pick one of. Like if I, I would expect him Earls and Conway to get picked ahead of Mac Hansen and Balakoon as a couple, like if I had to couple them up. Um and then I'd sort of go, Oh, like, you know, you could play like 
one of the two exciting wingers on one side and then one of the sort of the older, slower wingers on the other side. And I'm sort of going like, why would you want to do that? Like if I, if I, if I think objectively about this, the foreign players, the most dangerous players in Ireland, wing, wingers, are Balakun and Mack Hansen. Like, Mack Hansen is an absolute excitement fest. Every time the ball goes near him and you're watching a match, like you're at the ground with him in, everyone is waiting for something good to happen because invariably he beats somebody, he makes ground, he opens up. And Robert Balakun is an absolute flying machine who gave Ulster a cutting edge that we had said that they really lacked without Stuart McCluskey. Like, uh, Balak- so Larry was the one who who profited the most and had an absolute superb match. But like Balakun got through so many gaps and got his hands around the back so often and makes a pass that he's, uh, what a threat. Like, why wouldn't you pick the two of them to start? So uh, just to j- row back to your point about Ireland essentially, you know, playing t- to some extent like a club team is like, you wouldn't pick the like... Maverick, Mac Hansen, to pick, you know, it, it, to start maybe it, the first Six Nations game after he's been in camp for two weeks because the team doesn't know what he's doing and they don't know how good he is at this level. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I like big wing, small wing as well. Uh, so that you have, you have wingers that do different things. The one offers uh, like a particularly good work rate and chase and is really experienced. So Conway Arrows on, on one wing and then you have big cross uh, a big really athletic wing who's maybe who isn't as uh, experienced but very good in the air and just huge threat obviously James Lowe is missing um I only I only realized that earlier today I, I just think oh who's missing there uh with a muscle injury I believe so to me it's like Balakum on the left and probably Conway on the right and probably Earls at 23 and the, the other thing is just how far Larmer's fallen um, and the, the sort of the slump and, you know, kind of injury, um, confidence. Uh, this isn't Larmer's fault, but I often associate Larmer with Gavin Komsky's ill-advised uh, championing of him. And like the whole sort of, he's this once in a generational player and how can Joe Schmidt tell him what to say? And now we're having a conversation about five wingers and he's number five. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's not, like I, had to, I had to look, I didn't have to look him up, but I had to be reminded that he was in the squad. Like he's just, uh, he played against Leinster for Connacht and like... No, he played for Leinster against Connacht. Sorry, did I not say that? No, I said it the other way around. I said it the other way around. Um, I'm always getting my prepositions... Always, constantly <laughs> confused. It's a real feature of my writing. And obviously my speaking now. Um, and he looked absolutely bereft of confidence in in comparison. Yeah. Oh, that's true. But I will say there were certainly the proverbial green shoots of Larmer's form in the first half, which he played against uh, Montpellier. Uh, now, not a great opposition, but he was incredibly busy. And, you know, I think he ran for 100-plus metres in one half, got banged in a try. So I think coming coming back to form. But, like, I would like to see, as I said to you before, I think Farrell would like to see Earls get 100 caps. He's on 96 caps. Um, and Earls, he's just so... I read his, I read his autobiography over Christmas, which was a fantastic read. I'd encourage any rugby fan to read it. And it's just made me like him even more and... It's not like a. It's it's not like a hope a sympathy vote. He gets under caps. He played well in November when he came on. He offers a lot of versatility and experience. I'm a big fan of experience on the bench, 
So I'd like to see him in, in that 23 jersey. Like Erzy's play to start it, uh, started, you know, left wing, right wing, centre and full back for Ireland over his, over his long test career. So an ideal 23. The other thing is that Craig Casey doesn't deserve to be in there on either form or proven ability. Now, he deserves to be in there in terms of potential if you're looking at, like he played for an under-20 Grand Slam team. And, and we were all excited about him getting into the senior and the fact that he's getting more exposure from Munster is good for him and all that. But he's not the third best scrum half in Ireland. No. no Marmion, had, Marmion showed him up quite a lot, I felt, in yeah. the, in the Connacht Munster game. And, um, and for, like, forget Cooney, like Marmion has had a really good season. Yeah, he's been excellent. So he's he's unfortunate to miss out. Started against the All Blacks in a match we won. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that. I I definitely have Marmion. Uh, good to see uh, a player who I'm like in sort of two minds about because he goes against my preference for fullbacks, which is uh, Michael Lowry, independent TD <laughs> <laughs> for Tipperary. <laughs> <laughs> like because I like uh, tall fullbacks and fullbacks who are. Tall <laughs> and Larry's like five foot seven and one one meter seventy and but his performances are so good at the moment and he lit up the pitch in Franklin's Gardens he was sensational and banging form and um he's uh you know he's playing he does a lot of things really well so yeah I'm very happy to see him in there um. I mean, you you touched on the um, Craig Casey not maybe not being the third best scrum half uh, in Ireland at the moment. Like Joey Carberry seems to be like it's almost as if you couldn't have an Ireland squad without Joey Carberry getting picked, assuming he hasn't broken another bone or something. Well, that's the thing. But, like, is he there on form or is he there on uh, IRFU investment? No, I don't think I don't think IRFU investment comes into Farrell's squads. I think Farrell picks who he wants to pick. He obviously wants to keep Kirby, but like Kirby's injured as far as I know. Like I heard he had an operation on his elbow. Like a broken a broken arm followed by an operation. So I don't think he's like in the picture to play against Wales. I, I thought he was out. I didn't expect him to get picked. And like I said, I, I expected Crowley to mm. be in the squad. And if James Lowe is is not and James Lowe isn't in that squad because of a muscle injury. So maybe, maybe like I just don't know what I'm talking about. And Carberry's ready, ready to go. We're playing Wales on the fifth, and then the following week we're playing Paris, uh, playing sorry France in Paris. Um, like that's gonna sort of turn around the corner pretty quickly. So maybe, maybe Carberry will be back, but. Uh, and then just in just terms of there's a couple of players who didn't get capped in November. Yeah, yeah. And Hume has made it into the squad. Into the uh, the centres, and f- for all he hasn't, um, do you think that's um, like they're looking for? They, they need another thirteen more than they need another twelve, or is it just a Frawley hasn't played as much? Or he well, has... Frawley's played. Uh, Leinster haven't played that much, so Frawley hasn't played that much. Hume has played great for Ulster. Now, when they played him at twelve against Monster, he struggled. Um, it's not his position. Uh, I think that we need, like we've said before, uh, 12 is probably Ireland's best position with Henshaw, Aki and McCloskey. Uh, McCloskey not in the squad, still injured. Um, 
now Henshaw can play 13 very well. Um, Ringer was obviously at 13, but I really like the, the sort of gang of three has now, maybe I'm saying this prematurely, but I think it's now a gang of four with two inside centres and two outside centres. Hume looks really confident. Uh, he's got great feet. He's strong, aggressive, quick, and and has nice hands, you know? So, like, very, very well-deserved inclusion. Frawley, on the basis, like, he hasn't... He didn't play for Ireland in November. Leinster have played two games in December and halfway through January, so it, it, no real grounds to launch a claim from. I thought maybe Frawley's chance would have to sort of get in sideways as a 12 slash 10. Um, you know, because that, because of Carberry's injury, because Farrell doesn't seem to really be uh, a big fan of Ross Byrne. Uh, so I thought that maybe he'd, he'd be in there as, you know, as a guy who would be, a, would be your number 22 covering, covering the midfield. It's funny because I was looking at the squad uh, and more in relation to Larmer, thinking that Farrell had picked Larmer at fullback. And with the selection of Keenan and Lowry, he's, he's not, I don't see him picking Larmer as his fullback. I see Larmer as one of the five wings who's mm-hmm. in the squad rather than one of the three fullbacks who's in the squad. Is that with, um, it, that it, it's very um, sort of deterministic positions. He, he's not going to. Like he's, he's he's not going to pick Gary Ringrose on the wing mm-hmm. to to get Gary Ringrose into the team and pick James Hume on you know and like have a team of blindsides and a team of like a backline of centers like he's he's not going down that route he's he's going to have two centers and two wingers so I don't see him picking Frawley to be in the squad as like the number five center and the number three out half mm. um, and again like go back to Crowley so. Like Crowley against Cast, um, it was the first time. wasn't the first time he played a big match. It was it was the first time he played two big matches in a row. He was the starting out half. He was starting away. It was the first time he started away in a European match. Um, he ended up, I think, it was a top of the tackle stats for Munster, um, and he ended up second highest with uh, carries. Um, and it was it was probably the tackling and the fact that he got hit a few times and got back up again that as well as everything else really impressed me like his his durability uh his his willingness to take it to the line in contact um i the more I see him the more i like of him and that's why i thought that he might be i don't know parachuted that he that Farrell would make a call and make a decision on him and and get him in I don't know, like, is, is to get exposure enough? Like, he, he has, he's done this thing where he picks young guys to go into a squad um, for exposure, and he picked Prendergast from Connacht this time around. But he didn't go back to the same guys and pick the same three fellas that he picked yeah. the last time around. So he's not like, you know, oh, this is my sort of my get-out-of-jail card, is that, like, I'll pick Thomas Ahern, you know, as my 39th man for, like, three squads in a row so even he's not getting picked for Munster he's still in the periphery of Ireland he's like no 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 there's not a back door it's like you, you get an opportunity to see what's involved here and up your game and earn it the next time around so he he hasn't gone down that route with with Crowley but which means that like he sort of he's going right like it's it's sex the number one Crowley number two and 
I don't know, he probably feels that he's not there yet. But, like, like you go back to Mac Hansen and you go back to Balakun, like, is, is, do you not pick them because they don't have experience or because, like, you know, they might be too good? Is, like, again, like, you know, what what's what's the real risk here? I think, like, if, if I look at the upside, all like, all three of those guys have... But two of them are banging form, and one of them looks like a class act and hasn't played enough to be banging form. Well, I guess you'd say the the reason you'd be conservative is that it's the Six Nations and Wales uh, at home is sort of a very much a should win, and then that's, that's oh. it's, a, it's, a, it's a week away from our from a real test, a much bigger test. Yeah, going to Paris, and then like you're going, do you throw in? Do you parachute in someone inexperienced for Wales? No, not really. Even at home. Even if they were shit, you wouldn't. You'd still probably play Johnny Sexton. Yeah. And the mood changes so much if you lose a match, especially a home match. Yeah, like his job, his job is to win all the matches, keep keep the momentum going. We went to a Six Nations. Uh, I can't remember which year ago, year it was, but maybe like six years ago, or maybe eight years ago, where we drew the first game against Wales. Uh, and you know the obviously the terrible uh, simile everyone makes about draws, which I won't repeat here. Yeah, but like, we're all just like. Our fucking Six Nations is over. You Do you know who Six Nations was over that day? Wales. That was after, I'm fairly certain, after the 2015 World Cup. And yeah, Wales had, in 2015, had had a very bad World Cup with injuries, but had actually performed very yeah, well really as a well. team. Yeah. And had got beaten by the Springboks in the quarterfinal. But like had, had played very well, had got through a pool with England and Australia in it. And then, like, for that Six Nations, had all their players back, and their age profile was superb. And, like, Wales have won some Grand Slams that, like, you wouldn't remember about in Ireland, but, like, they've won two of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and they've won one that they might have deserved, like, that, that they've definitely deserved. But at that, in 2016, Wales' age profile and first 15 was excellent. And they dropped the ball, not beating us. Yeah, we went on the lash afterwards. So West guy was great. Guys. They were great. <laughs> that was a different match, was it? That was uh, that was that was before lo- that was the twenty twenty match, wasn't it? No, this was a quite a long time ago. Yeah, we it, they asked us to leave Lansdowne Road. We were still drinking at the bar at about eight o'clock. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah, Gone maybe, off the, maybe it was. Off the, yeah. Anyway, so it just it's like. So the wing positions are obviously the ones I think where uh, coaches are more um, open to, I think, taking risks because they're, they're on the periphery of the game rather than, yeah. it's like, you know, you pick, you know, a pick, you don't pick a young central midfielder in football for whatever, for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, where where's the slot for anyone to get in, um, you know, at nine or 10? He's picking Casey though. Casey played a lot more. Casey has played a lot more than than Crowley. I guess True, he's been in international squad already as well. Yeah, and that, that's the bit of conservatism. And again, look, like he's seen he's seen more of it than I am, but it's it's kind of okay now because he's been there before. But like form, or if you want to, like Marmion's got international experience. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen uh, Crowley. Brought in as as one of the uh, and in Kim Prendergast as an addition to Kim Prendergast as a guy, just bring him in, let him see what the uh, see what's involved in training for Ireland, training with Ireland, preparing for a big match, 
I think that would have been a worthwhile fight. He's, he's going to be a super player. Like I was saying to you just before we went on air uh, about uh, his similarities to Juan Martín Hernández. Remember in 2007 when we were over in France for the World Cup, Hernández took that tournament by storm. I know Habana won player of the tournament, you know, great uh, great claims to it as well. But for me, that tournament, the, the reason I remember it, the player I remember from was, was Juan Martín Hernández, who was like, I remember coming out of that and thinking, why don't we just play like, just play your best player at 10? <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, I came out of that tournament, we were like, we just pick Draco at 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because he could just do everything, you know. Uh, those are dark days. <laughs> he, was, he was running, obviously he had the world's, probably the best kicking game I've ever seen. Uh, but he was really physical, he was really quick, strong. And, and like a, I, I look at Crowley and think he's not as he's not as physical as as uh, Hernandez was because he hasn't you know four generations of stake you know but um, he he's a lot of similarities he's similarly brave he's a great runner and uh, he kicks well and he has uh, the impulsive temperament as well so yeah I would have liked to see him like we've we've talked about him since the since we first saw him in the twenties like of what a what a talent he is I I, I, I sorry go on. Just to say that Argentinian uh, team really rose in with what I said uh, last week about it not mattering what style of rugby you play as long as you win because they played some serious puke, but they did it with lots of passion and everyone thought it was great. Kicking the ball up in the air and mauls. And those are the two tactics and also plays kicks. And they just did it and cried during the anthem. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. I love it. Uh, so what I was going to say was like, if Crowley, if Crowley, Joey Carby gets injured, you reckon Crowley comes in. Johnny Sexton gets injured. Who would you draw? Who who's getting drafted in? Carty. To start. No, it as the next ten off the rank if Johnny Sexton gets injured. Oh, good question. Because I think it'd be Ross Byrne. I would expect Ross Byrne. Yeah, me too. In a kind of a horses for courses steady. It's a great question because he should just pick Carty and then put the next next cab in the rank comes up, which mm-hmm. is which is crowdy. But then your your three out halves are Carty. Who he doesn't seem to trust. Carberry, who's injured, and Crowley, who's got I don't know how, how many just seniors. Just want a man starts. to kick the ball. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, I he, ran, he ran past the Montpellier defenders at the weekend. It must be said. <laughs> I talked about Ross. Look, I say it again, just just to emphasise it. If Ross Byrne could come on to the ball, he would be a completely different player. And at the weekend, he came on to the ball. Now, like, how much credit can you give Montpellier? Zero. Like if he, if he could do it against La Rochelle, and you know, put himself in the the tackling channel for is it is it Bota is the big Fijian guy? Yeah. You know, like Bodia. <laughs> to off my calf to Rob, Ross, he'd he'd earn it for that one. But um, but it's good to see him do it because it changes his game completely. Everything else is everything else is good. Like oh, Grant, he doesn't have. I was gonna say top end pace. He, he barely has like, his <laughs> military medium has been generous, but it doesn't matter. Like if you're if you're coming onto the ball and you're keeping straight, um, that is enough. Yeah. Uh, the only the other thing I say about Crowley as well is that a lot of the the commentary that I saw about the Munster match and the preview was that it was one for the purists. Uh, it was dross. It was I thought it was a very good win for Munster. I actually thought it was a very I I thought it was a very good game. In in 
was pretty drunk. I was pretty drinking. I was drinking, but <laughs> um, but I, I thought cast were clever and ruthless, and I just played a very territory oriented game. Extremely difficult to beat down there. They're always hard to beat down there. Nobody had that uh, they've won all their matches there this season, and okay, ground they didn't pick all their first choice guys, but all their players are good pro players playing for cast at home. So to win, I like Munster weren't in great form going into the match. Um, so to win with Crowley at 10, I think buys Crowley a lot of credit um, in... Munster Miracle points. Yeah, Munster Miracle. Yeah, great, Munster Miracle points because Dialende wasn't playing 12 beside him. Mm. So he wasn't having his hand held. Now, I also think that Rory Scannell is a very underrated player or... But like, I'm not missing Rory Scannell out of this... Like we said, like 12 is the most com- competitive position in Ireland and Rory Scandal isn't quick enough to play at international level. Like he's number four of four in like Irish starting 12s. If so, take Dialende at a Munster, say that Scandal is the number 12 starting for a Munster. He's still number four. Mm-hmm. And he's by like, by a good bit. Mm-hmm. But he's a good rugby player. He is good. I like him as well. It's a good point. So uh, on the other uh, Irish province playing a French team, we spent a lot of time last week laying into the EP or C, ECP or whichever one of these. EPCR. EPCR. Uh, and the like ailing European Cup. Leinster went out and broke their own record for smashing a disinterested French team. Um, like I went to it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed in particular um, Josh van der Fleer like picking off one of their overthrows and yeah. running in untouched from 40 yards. Like, but like, one of the things that really ground my gears about the game was having to sit through the complete and other corporate horseshit that they pumped through the PA uh, before the game starts. You know the the slogan, "This is the one to win." They've written this fucking awful, like you know, poem. Like it's copy. You know, <laughs> uh, like it's basically like somewhere between like. We are knights going on a crusade and let's do it for your mates. And then it ends. This is the one to win. It's insufferable. And then they also do this fucking and terrible, like, this is a green competition. People, places, players. Like, just the absolute fucking horseshit. And this tournament is horseshit. And, like, Leinster beating someone 89-7 is a fucking waste of everyone's time. And don't tell me it's the one to win if it's a competition where one team doesn't give a flying fuck about it and the other team wasn't allowed to play them in the other game. Like, that's a joke. Yeah, like I agree to the sort of the corporate branding, just and that poor fella, the fucking I know, the, like the guy, the Leinster guy with the most Leinster voice in the world, <laughs> reading out stuff at the RDS, and he's like, "Oh, our DHL, our partner, so TSOT, uh, uh, our time." And you're like, "There's only one fucking clock in the ground. You can barely see it because there's loads <laughs> of lads in high vis vests standing in front of it, and they don't put it up where it's supposed to be over the fucking like screen in the corner." Order over the scoreboard. Anyway, the whole yeah, I was I I, I didn't. Well, just look at let's look at say this. Like, there's no cues for points when there's only five thousand people. This game. <laughs> <laughs> like, Leinster's games have been you know we've played two games like Bather Bather dreadful this year. We're going to annihilate dreadful. them at the weekend. Uh, Montpellier, like we beat them eighty nine seven eighty nine. So like this is the you know the Champions Cup, and 
it's just such a such a letdown. Like I don't, as I said to you, I don't like the format. The games have been like it used to be that the champ, like it was the, the Irish sort of rugby structure was set up on the Pro Fourteen or Celtic League is what you play week in week out, and there's a step up to Heineken Cup, and then there's a step up to International Avenue. The Heineken Cup games we've played have been the easiest games we've played all year. Yeah, you know by a, like by a mile. Like the the league is much more competitive than it was, and the cup has just slid so much. If the French Castor played, Cast played their second string against Munster twice, uh, in both home and away. Um, so you have teams who, like, I understand that the idea behind the the four game pool system was to make that there were no dead rubbers at the end. You're going, we were playing dead rubbers in round two, in round three, you know, so. It's yeah, it's a shambolic tournament this time, mate. Was the, it set up to fail? I was just going to ask. I was going to ask the same thing. If the the French and English teams wanted to give an example of how to unintentionally strangle the life out of a tournament, it's it's incredible. But like, I'm also <clears throat> calling to mind another like a football thing is that like Benitez has just been sacked at Everton, having sold one of their like most saleable assets. Coincidentally, who'd fallen out with them. So like a week before Benitez goes, they get rid of like one of their best players yeah. who's fallen out with them and then they sack the manager. So it's like, who was the fucking problem or did they want the money? And then it's like, did, like they got rid of their, whatever, nutritional staff, they got rid of their scouting, they got rid of their sporting director, all under Benitez and then Benitez goes. And you're going like, are they that, are they just that dumb? And they just couldn't, the, the Benitez was no longer tenable there or was his job to go in there and do all the hard, do all the dirty work, take all the heat, and like get clean out the fucking you know all the bad seeds they thought. Clean they out the it. stables, go forwards, go backwards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have so, a mole, Jim. So it's like they, they never Rafa went in there. They just never threw the toffees. They never. <laughs> they never got all these corporate pon- sponsors, as you you mentioned last week. And it's like, well, did they ever try? You know. Well, maybe they did. T Sot and DHL were there <laughs> at the weekend, but like, it, were, was the whole plan all along to no, screw this no. tournament existence, or are they just not that smart? Because I don't think they're that smart. Oh, I, I think it. I think they're just not that smart. I think that it's it was a harder. Like you, you. I, I go back to Mark McCaffrey talking up the Premiership when he was head of Premiership and then setting up the European. And like this guy is just so full of bluster. Uh, and just just as as though it, once it comes out of his mouth, that makes it a factor. That's like I can believe this, even if I don't really believe it. I can say it, so it's be- believable, and people will believe me. No one believes you, buddy. No one believed him at the time. Nobody in Ireland, anyway. I doubt anybody in, in Wales or, or Scotland believed him. Um, so I think it's just more like incompetence. But now it's panned out how it has panned out, and the French are going. Phew. It's over though. The tournament's over. It's it, it'll be dead in two years. I think so. I'm shocked. I'll be shocked if they like they presumably have contracts where they have to fulfill next year. But like, it's a it's, farce. It's difficult to see many teams investing their efforts, even without relegation in in England. It's difficult to see many teams investing their efforts in. And it just it seems like the English teams don't think that they can win it, apart from Saracens and Exeter. And maybe Harlequins this season think they have a chance. Exeter won it once, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then the same with the French teams. So Racing think they can win it. Claremont don't think they can win it. Lopez gave an interview where he goes like, torn was a joke. Um, I, think, I think he said it was a joke. Um, and so to lose, obviously. But like, there's, there's precious few teams who seem to have... Uh, Seems like La Rochelle take it seriously. And maybe that's because O'Gara takes it seriously. I think it is. Yeah. Because they've they've no real heritage, and they got to one semi final. They got to final last got year. Got to final last year. Yeah. Um, so you think it, you think it, do you think it, well, they, it I mean they have they, or they do presumably think, have whatever more a contract to fill, and there'll be another tournament last year, next year. But unless they go, see if they say it's a thirty two team, and they pretty much invite nearly everyone in and go, it's a straight knockout from the start. Just enjoy it, lads. But then they'll be like, oh, is there enough? You know, because they're probably they've sold a package of six games every weekend or whatever it is. Like, but, like, it's going through the motions and it's not worth, it's not worth it, really. Or maybe when it boils down to the knockout stage, you'd be like, okay, it is worth it. Leinster will play someone decent in the last 16 and then they'll, quarterfinals will end up with eight good teams in it or yeah. like six good teams. Well, that's a, the same thing happens with the... Chat, like, uh, Ulster probably going to get through. Munster yeah. are through. Leinster will be Bath and presumably be through. The same thing happens with the Challenge Cup. Like it's most of the, most of the year, it's just an absolute like make weight of a tournament. And then when it gets into the semi finals, it's quite good. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it just it seems the URC is almost the the standard's gone up from playing less games. The standard's better than the European Cup, though. Tomorrow. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like obviously, that's you know you 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 bring in for like all the South African teams are big teams. They all have a lot of heritage. They all have a lot of player numbers. I guess in the, I don't know, I was going to say defense, the mitigants about the European Cup is like COVID is the obvious one. And the different approaches that mitigants take. <laughs> mitigants. <laughs> oh no, man, mitigants, mitigants is the noun. <laughs> always, on, talking about, always talking about mitigants. <laughs> Damn mitigants coming in, taking my jobs, <laughs> not playing matches. Um, is like the governments have different take on COVID, and you know, like the the medical committee is there. And like, if you're if you're a medic, it's 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 like Neffet. It's like you know, what can you say? You can be you can only be too lenient, and then something goes really wrong, and you know, the, the whole thing gets out there, and. It, it runs wild. Like you're going to get blamed for that. You're not going to get blamed as the medical watchdog for being too severe. Like you might get sort of, oh, fucking the medical watchdog. Mm -hmm. Not letting us have any crack. You know, what are they up to? But like no one's, no one's going to blame you. People are going to grumble about you. They're not going to blame you for it. Whereas if you're, if you're too lax, they will blame you. They're going to be going like, what are these guys meant to be doing here? Like they're meant to be the watchdog. Mm. So there's all those sort of things. The, the thing that might give it a shot in the arm is the South Africans. The South Africans really want to play in Europe because they play in London, yeah? Um, and and that, that, might be, that might be huge for, and in a way, like the, in, the URC has a few things. One is the time zone. But two is Europe. The South African teams want to play in Europe. They want to play against the French teams. They want to play against the English teams. Um, and that might capture the imagination of more of the French and English teams if that's what's coming in. And I, I think, of course, it like has to come in now that they're playing, yeah. their, playing their league rugby in, in, in Europe. The URC, yeah. Yeah. 
So maybe maybe that could be the shot in your arm, or maybe as you say that a straight knockout competition from thirty-two down to two. But they've they've all these as, as Ian was saying, like they've all these slots on TV sold. So then you go to the, like what else happened? Like the European Cup used to be on Sky, and you had to get Sky to get it. But once you got Sky, like you're guaranteed of watching it, and like and the Ryder Cup is on, and the Premiership is on. Whereas now, like you've got Amazon, and Amazon just sell like rugby internationals, like they sell everything else. It's you know like there's no there's no real build up. There's not even like a channel. It's just like you they buy this. Ads. Just you buy breaks. The, you just buy <laughs> you just buy the package, and then like it's not like they segue into the next match. It's just like you just go and you watch the next match. They don't they don't bother. So like there's a twenty minute overlap between the two broadcasts where you have to go and find like if you're watching the end of the first broadcast, you'll miss. The beginning of the other broadcast because it's just a separate deal and there's sky so the thing is fragmented and it's all over the place now it's good that the matches are on channel four it's good that they're on virgin um because people watch them mm. and irish like irish people have uh irish rugby fans have a big attachment to the european cup which probably they're more attached to it than anybody else um so you know, maybe we have been constantly living in denial and overstatement about how important a trophy it is. But I think it, it, it was for the longest time the biggest, the biggest uh, club tournament in the world. It was for, I would say, most, most of its first 20 years. I agree. And I guess with the TV particularly if you listen to the 42 and they're talking about, oh, we want to grow the game, we want to do this and that better. And we, we've sort of had the discussion before, maybe the game has grown enough. Maybe this is as big as it gets and you just sort of go, just just make it better. Just kind of, we're not that bothered with growing the game, but we're going to keep what we have and make it as, as good as we can, which is, which is a weird mentality if you're growing up as we've all done in the capitalist, because it's, it's, not what you're, it's not what you're taught. Like you're taught creative destruction, Continual growth, continual growth, all that sort of stuff, you know. And and look, there's this whole economic theory. There is a whole economic. It is like it's it's what we live in. But but, like, would it be a better tournament if it was just on BBC and RTE? Yeah, you go. You know what? Like, we're we're not going to have. We're going to have six matches. We're not going to make as much money out of it. But it's going to be on TF2 or TF1, which is just easier to say. TV do like BBC One and RTE and that's that's the gig everyone knows it's on this or like BBC Two and Channel Four like it doesn't yeah. matter like and, and Virgin like it's just it's on the telly. This is uh, something which we said before, but it's a while ago since we said like if you want to if you're actually interested in growing the game and not just making more money out of the game, you go oh we're going to take a hit on our broadcasting revenues because we're just going to give it. When I say give it, we're going to sell it to not the highest bidder. We're going to sell it to the BBC. The most eyeballs. Yeah, and we'll just get people watching it. Because like, <laughs> saying, to, uh, saying to someone there, like, I used to watch so much rugby league when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, because it was on Saturday afternoons on BBC. Yeah. You know, just watch Wigan all the time and Witness and HKR just because it was on and like, I'd say those sports, I'd say rugby league was at its most popular there in the late 80s, early 90s. And it's been downhill since they went to Sky. Uh, and like Sky now looks like, I remember when it was the great like disruptor and now it looks so tame and like a real establishment. But um, yeah, so like if you want to grow the game, you you don't, 
take uh, you don't take the highest bid and you just put it on free to air television. Free to air television is still going to be around for quite a while, despite what the and the numbers that what we'll watch, like the numbers that watch stuff on the BBC. Like every time there's a a football game and a live football match on BBC, the numbers that watch it, like absolutely they like are they're about I don't know. I would say 10 times as much as we yeah. watch it on Sky easily. Yeah. Like I would expect if, uh, if there was a European Cup game, a European knockout game on RTE, regardless of which province was playing, you'd probably get probably 10 times as many people watching it as you would. Because again, go back to, I'm really piggybacking on, on Bert here. So they were talking about having the salary cap because the Dragons, I don't know, what it is, I don't know, he might be the chairman, he might be the managing director. Mm. And he... Made his money with Just Eat that fast. I was going to say Just Eat or, yeah. yeah, Uber Eats or one of those, yeah. And um, talking about a salary cap. And then you're going, look, practically speaking, salary cap doesn't work in the URC. Salary cap works if you do it across Europe. So if you say, we're going to have a salary cap and it's going to be based on Toulouse or whoever, and like everybody else can get and spend that money. So if you can find that money, you can spend it. But, but it doesn't work. And what I mean it doesn't work is like if you have it in the URC, and you have it in the Premiership, do you know what will happen? All the blessed players will go and play in France. Like, Tarek Furlong will go and play in France. Owen Farrell will go and play in France. Or, like, you know, so say Saracens is like, no, we're going to pay Owen Farrell loads of money. Like, Maro Toje will go. Because, like, Saracens don't have that much. Well, like, you know, maybe if, for example, Saracens don't have that much money and they decide to pay it to Owen Farrell, Maro and Toje will go and pay in Paris. For yeah. Stade Francais, because Stade Francais do have that much. I mean, they just go, well, like, this guy's one of the best second rows in the world, so we'll pay him. Or Mako will so, go, because he's not even Mako. in the English squad. He's only yeah. 31. So, like, all these, so, it's so, like, that. Is that what you want? Because that's what will happen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're dead right, it will happen. Like, that doesn't even go into, like, the nitty-gritty of different tax jurisdictions, different currencies, different laws for player retirement, and, you know, Ireland has a specific law allowing players to recoup some of the tax they've paid. Like, he, like salary caps across, uh, even in the URC, aren't viable. Like, no, because it, it, three of them are, like, four of them? Or three of them are, like, run by the unions. The clubs are run by the unions. Yeah, but, then, like, there's different tax laws in Italy, different tax laws in Ireland, different, different tax laws. Yeah, different currencies in the UK or in Scotland and Wales. And South Africa. South Africa. Like, it's, four, it's four currencies. There's so many stumbling three blocks. And if you have a they law... You can trade them all in for URC dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Crypto. <laughs> uh, if, you have, if you have a law in a country, you know, about how much you can tax or what your intellectual property rights are uh, taxable at, like, a government isn't going to change that because of a fucking rugby competition. So uh, we've made no firm conclusions about the uh, future of uh, the Crypto.com URC. <laughs> <laughs> URC is in like URC is obviously struggling more than any other league because of COVID, because you have to travel through multiple jurisdictions to play most of your matches. Um, but the URC is looking like a pretty strong league, uh, not playing in the international weekends, which is going to go by the board over the Six Nations because there's matches to be made up. But it is me- meant for more competitive games and more, you know, well-known faces out in the pitch, which is a complaint that a lot of fans had. But on the other hand, there's a massive lack of game time for particular players in Irish squads. And Irish rugby has really relied on that. And there's no 
um, nobody has come up with a, a viable way to uh, to make up for that game time. Like, there's an awful lot of, in my opinion, very very wishy washy blue sky thinking about how DAIL is going to sort of ride to the rescue, and there's there's no. Um, don't change it at the moment. We're top four. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no, like nobody is is going to congratulate you for saying like, this is just wishful thinking. It's not going to happen. Like there's no market for that. But that's my opinion. Like Leinster are, are, are paying lads 70, 80 grand to play for their club at the moment. That can't continue for even another no, season. No, no, I, I can't see it happening. And to be honest, like this is, I think the big... You know when you look back 10 years and you go like, how did I miss that? Like, how did I not see this, which seems so obvious Give me now. an example. Crypto. Oh, yeah. For, like, yeah, I know we're laughing, but like, you look at it now and it's just how prevalent it was. And like, we heard Wardy explain it to us, like when it was like, a, a, you know. Tony Ward. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> like, crypto is like, it's, it's a beautiful idea. Like, it's, like, it's a beautiful concept. Um... Someone else called Ward explained it. Someone else, uh, some other Wardy. Um, that the, the the second tier of English rugby, basically like Eng- English rugby being stripped of, the money goes to the elites in English rugby now. And there used to be like a viable kind of professional second tier. Like you, you could you could make it last. You could live the dream until you were 26 and then you sort of go, geez, like I'm too sore and life is getting in the way. I'm going to do something else. But do you know what? Like from 19 to 26, like for seven years, you could have a go at being a, a pro rugby player. That's gone. Like the, the money is gone out of that and it's not going to come back. So like, and the South African teams, there used to be two South African teams in it outside of like the, the sort of the the super rugby like the the elite of south african rugby that's gone and most of the south african players like there's are like how there's probably i don't know if there's more professional south african rugby players playing outside of south africa there certainly is an awful lot of them so mm-hmm. like it, it could be that there are um that's gone so like it's it's just it's the concentration of money at the better end of it is is one of the things that's happened so what does that look like for Irish rugby is that, like, there's good players coming out of Ireland. So you're going to get more of, you're going to get more Leinster players going to Connacht, I think. In, oh, of course, In yeah. the short term. Like, that's the most obvious thing. And you, I'd expect to see that happen from next season. And then you're going to see more Irish players play in France and play for... Playing in England. England. And maybe France, and I don't know what the Italians are going to do, because like Italy's in the EU, France is in the EU it's going to be easier for those guys than I think it'll, it'll be in the UK. That's, yeah. that's what I'd expect to happen. Mm. The French are the only ones who seem to have a viable second tier. Oh, yeah. Like, their second tier is, is, is definitely viable. Like, the salaries aren't bad in the second tier. Yeah. Like, I think the There's average... loads of big names in terms yeah. of clubs down there as well yeah. and lots yeah. of fierce rivalries and I think the average salary and... in pro d is between 50 and 60K. You know, which is like... If you're if you're an executive in Ireland, that doesn't sound like a huge amount. But if you're not an executive, you're going, that's you know, that's good money. Um and you know, they play in front of like, you know, quite a lot of people. 
more than the Welsh teams play in front of in, in the URC. Uh, and they have, you know, they have a top 14 and uh, is there 16 or 14 teams in Pro Dido? I think it could be 16. 16. So, you know, they have 30 professional teams. It's it, Just as a sidebar, it always... It's always fun. Look at look at how many games these guys are playing. You know, they point to their young players and you're like, yeah, it's because they have fucking 30 teams. <laughs> they have to like they have to have a lot of players to play. And I know you can point to Entomac playing for Toulouse, but like there's a there's a viable transfer market in France. Like uh, DuPont didn't come up through the Espoirs in in um in Toulouse. In Toulouse. Yeah. He played for he played for uh yeah, actually I know he played for I know he played for Cast, but he played for somebody before Cast. Birch talked about the transfer market in France. Oh, did he? he did a special on the forty-two, well, maybe last summer, about uh, recruitment in yeah. particular, and talked about how uh, it's like part of the lifeblood of the game in France is that people move around, people change jobs. Essentially, it's yeah. just what it is. Um, like it's much more like their their leagues are much more like the English football leagues. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna look this up because I think well I have looked it up. I'm gonna look up the second part of it. I, I think it's I think the symmetry is almost too gorgeous of uh of who Antoine Dupont. So he, he played for Ouch, I'm gonna pronounce it and hopefully I'm not <laughs> doing it a disservice. It's A U C H maybe. Oh I think yeah. Is it Och? Yeah. Um, but I did an article on Jacques. Ouch! I did an article on Jacques Ferru, and the name looks very familiar. So yeah, I looked it up. So Antoine Dupont made his started playing for Ouch. Ouch. Is that who we're going first? Ouch! Ouch! Um, and he like as a junior in. 2011, which is which is 10 years ago. He's 25 now. So like when he was 15, 16. And then he joined Cast. Then he joined Toulouse. Jacques Ferru was born in Ouch. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Jacques Ferru is the... Uh, the original Petit General. I wrote an article called Napoleon's Ghost back in the days from Eustra. Are you writing an article about another scrum half? I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah there we go. So am I... <laughs> that's, our, uh, that's, our, that's our quota. That's our annual article. <laughs> He was born there. And this then, for last year's annual. And then he went to La Voulte. Sorry, he made a senior debut for US Cognac. Jacques Ferru did now. Not, but Jacques Ferru was like, Jacques Ferru was the, the boss man, le petit caporal, the little, little colonel after, uh, after Napoleon. He's five foot three. And he basically bossed French rugby as a player, they won a Grand Slam in the 70s and then he took over as coach and he bossed it for the 80s. And like I'm sure the French had really dominant scrum halves before Farou, but when I think of dominant scrum halves in France, I think of Jacques Farou. Mm-hmm. Steely. Hard as nails. Is this just, is just a glowing tribute to Ouch and the Pro D2 as, yeah, as a whole? Yeah, well, just just the, the nature of, of rugby in 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 France, you know, that there's movements like, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but it's how it's, it's how rugby can thrive like that in France. And it doesn't thrive like that anywhere else. That's why we have time and time again said like, I can understand French teams putting the top 14 ahead of the European cup. The top 14, the bouclier has been up for grabs for over 120 years. 
you know, it's a massive national competition. They didn't have to invent anything when they, you know, were setting up their rugby league. It was just like, oh, let's codify this a little bit. We would like to thank our partners from Switzerland with their timepieces. <laughs> <laughs> and the HL for bringing the ball onto the pitch. <laughs> and now I'm going to stop recording this nonsense. <laughs>